It's time for Arrested DevOps, the podcast that helps you achieve understanding, develop good practices, and operate your team and organization for maximum DevOps awesomeness. I'm Maddie Stratton. Today, we are going to dig into the a word, a phrase that might be on the tips of the tongues of our audience or maybe in the inner ears of their listening. We'll find out. And we're going to talk about this idea of platform engineering. But before we do that, let's have some words from our sponsors. Collecting compliance evidence shouldn't involve spreadsheets and scavenger hunts. With automated controls and over 75 integrations, Drata automates the process without needing to be an expert. Drata supports 14 frameworks, including SOC 2, GDPR, HIPAA, and ISO 27001. Companies like Notion and Lemonade have shared how Drata simplifies audits through automated evidence collection. Don't let audits slow down your dev cycle. Request a demo today and get 10% off along with waived implementation fees at drata.com slash partner slash arrested devops. Feeling like you have too many alerts, overwhelmed by vulnerabilities, and at the end of the day, not deploying apps as quickly as you would like? Sysdig hears you. Security in the cloud can be overwhelming and security posture is suffering. You need a way to prioritize what matters so that you can move faster. Shift left is the right operating principle, but you must shift left the right way. Sysdig roots everything it does in runtime insights. By knowing what is running in production, you can prevent, detect, and respond to threats and do it at cloud speed. To learn more about Sysdig, visit sysdig.com slash arrested devops. We've actually talked about this idea of platforms on the show before. I'll put a link in the show notes. We had Kelsey Hightower and Andrew Clay Schaefer on years ago with having a chat with Bridget about the idea of platforms before we had a name for it, a buzzword, if you will. And yes, uh, we'll call it that. But today, yeah, I'm really excited to be joined by Daniel Bryant. So I, I met Daniel at DevRelCon in Prague, which was 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 great. And he has a lot of great ideas around product-led growth and DevRel and things like that. But we aren't talking about that necessarily, or we will. <laughs> but we're going to talk about this idea about PlatEng and all that. But Daniel, you want to introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah. Hey, everyone. Hey, Matty. Really appreciate the invite. It's great to be chatting. And it's just like great folks you mentioned to go before me, like Kelsey, Bridget, Andrew, like legends of the game, right? <laughs> so you, you set me on high high pedestal, perhaps, or high hopes. So yeah, my background is a development. So I started my career as a Java engineer, did a whole lot of software architecture, then moved into some operations, built a few platforms on Mesos. The folks remember Apache Mesos, and then mm-hmm. moved to Kubernetes as well, did a few platforms on, on Kubernetes. And now I run the DevRel team at Ambassador Labs, working very much in the Kubernetes space with our API gateway and telepresence, fast feedback tools, and chatting to a whole lot of folks who are trying to build platforms. It is the, you know, it's the thing de jour. And arguably, we've been building platforms for many a year, but now there is this discipline emerging, which I'm, yeah, I'm super looking forward to diving into today with you. That'll be great. And I just did check. So if you go to arresteddevops.com slash platforms, you will find the episode that was recorded in January of 2016 Wow, with Kelsey Hightower and Andrew Clay Schaefer. And I, I distinctly, what I remember most about this episode, which is unfortunately not any of the content, but being very, very jealous and feeling FOMO that I was not uh, <laughs> totally. one of the hosts on this yeah. episode. Because after it was done and I, I looked at it, I was like, oh, what a conversation. Fantastic. So. 
Let's kind of, so yeah, there's, it's interesting to me because I've thought about this idea for a while, you know, and a lot of the ways that I think about in my background with when I was working at Chef and other places and thinking about how do we have these teams that run the place where we put our stuff. And then it seems like in the last year or two, all of a sudden now we've given a name to this, which is platform engineering. And Maybe can, you know, we, we, your definitions are fuzzy. You ask 12 people, you get 15 different answers. But (laughs) for context of our conversation, if someone says platform engineering to you, Daniel, like, what does that actually mean? Yeah, it's a great question, Matty. And I've kind of formalized my definition, right? Because I've been asked so many times and now like, I've, I've formalized it by saying it's kind of the discipline of building like, tool chains, our workflows, platforms to support the team, in quotes, for going from idea to observable business value and production. And that is totally mindful, right? But that's kind of like, if you see my slides when I'm doing my talks, that is the definition because it's kind of that soup to nuts. I've, you know, we all come up with ideas. How do we get them actually in front of folks? And then clearly, how do we get that feedback? Because you're a big fan of continuous delivery. And for me, continuous delivery does not end once you get that app in production, right? It just begins. You need to get that feedback, either from like a business point of view or from like an operational point of view. Get that feedback, keep iterating. So platform engineering for me encompasses that whole spectrum of your idea stuff in production. So it's not just the infrastructure upon which you're you're running your thing. So one one could say, you know, Kubernetes is not a platform totally. in this in this way, right? It's it's, yeah. it's a part of that. So we're looking at that whole delivery. To me, I guess it it maybe one of the ways to to frame this too is something that James Governor from Red Monk has said before is everyone's just trying to build their own Heroku. Oh, right? totally. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and is that is that I mean maybe it's a bit of a glib way to do it. Not saying that James is glib. I'm being glib right now. <laughs> yeah. But to say <laughs> that sort stuff. of plat plat edge is like that. That's the the DevX that we want to have, right? You're sort of mm-hmm. saying we want this thing where we're getting that out of the way, but it's all of the pieces that go into making a Heroku that were abstracted away or maybe not even necessarily abstracted away, but just sort of hidden away. And my question kind of going to that, I want to dig into a little bit more about what is involved with that. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think let's, let's maybe just address the elephant in the room, right? Like <laughs> I think we've, if you're still on Elon Musk's hobby website, it <laughs> used to be known as Twitter. You've probably seen, there's some sponsored tweets that are going to come across your transom about DevOps being dead. Platform engineer killed DevOps. I remember at yeah, KubeCon. Yeah, yeah I you about the it. Booth, yeah, yeah. The booth yeah, across totally. from me yeah. had their big DevOps is dead. And, and there was a lot of fun trolling to be had about that. But also, why, right? Like, I mean, is it is, is some of this idea about hiding that contrary to the principles of DevOps, maybe? Is that the idea? Or... You know where where does that idea come from? And I'm not 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 saying you subscribe to it either. I'm just you, you're observing this. Like why why do we see these things being contraindicative contraindicative of each other versus complementary? Yeah, interesting. And so I come from like a Java background, right? So for the but 20 years I've been coding in Java, but for the past <laughs> 10 or 15, like Java is dead. Long live Java. Yeah, well, Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, so we've seen it so many times. And I think it's the same deal with like, DevOps and platform engineering. Like, particularly like you and I now, we do embrace the marketing a little bit as well, right? As being engineers. And we kind of get it. Like, no publicity is bad publicity to some degree. Oh, <laughs> yeah, no, I don't that's... think the publicity that that particular <laughs> vendor got at KubeCon was was what they were, were looking for. But, you know, you never know. I, 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 do, I do hear you. And I think the, the thing is, like, 
it's it's a kind of shock thing right if you go like x is dead like it does it does draw attention undeniably right the, the t-shirts people are rocking at the conference the the chatter about the room like for better or worse was about that so it does draw attention and i i think i've seen this you know time and time again in my like 20 year software engineering career folks and i'm sure i was just the same like you know back when i started you kind of want to bury the previous generation of things because <laughs> you're you want to be seen to be innovating on the next right and when you've gone a few years in the industry you realize that you know history doesn't repeat but it rhymes a heck of a lot and i think like, i often joke and say like in the engineering space the history is very poetic because like i come from like cgi days back pearl you know php and just today i was looking on the interwebs and there's like a web assembly cgi thing popping up and i'm like whoa 20 years come full circle and i think it's just the same you know literally we've been building platforms back when i started it was racking and stacking it was installing windows nt or whatever on it right <laughs> and then like jumping a java like a uh, application server on top and, and doing that thing and now like you know we've come a long way of course and we've gone through cloud foundry and heroku but i think we always have the same goals we just hopefully get better at each step of the way and we kind of want to rename it when we do you know and and I think maybe this goes back to kind of one of the core problems. And we've talked about this a lot on the show. And, and you know, we some of us have to make our peace with it one way or another about what we actually mean by DevOps, too. Because I think if yes. you take the context of the what a DevOps team does is build infrastructure for you and using maybe using some code to do it, which is what a lot, a lot of times people think of a DevOps team as an automation team. If that's the case, then that platform engineering replaces that. But what, what, and this I think is one of the things where to me, when I think about that, I was like, I feel like a lot of these principles are what this has been about the whole time. Yes. Right. So it, is it replacing it or is it just to your point? an evolution and just sort of a different framing of the same idea, which is what, how are we using these tools to, to create value in a collaborative way rather than siloing it? And then that's the other, the other kind of a thing. And that's what, what gets kind of fun about this is because sometimes you'll read this and they say, this is what, how you keep your DevOps to, you know, DevOps teams are siloed and you're like, well, the point was to not <laughs> totally. do that. So you were already doing it wrong, but that said, everyone <laughs> is doing it quote wrong anyway. So maybe we have to make our peace with that. Um, but when we okay, so we kind of think about that. Well, I think we'll keep coming back to this like idea of, um, of where that framing goes. I was like, you know, it's a little bit like I I, I come to bury DevOps, not to praise it. You know, kind <laughs> yeah. of. I feel like is the 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 the, the model of that. I, I I will say that I think part of the reason that some of that marketing material in that particular place has also been not done well is yes, you do have that shock value piece of it, but a lot of the supporting information or supporting material that has been thrown it has been factually erroneous, uh, right? There's been enough. a yeah, lot yeah. of okay. like kind of we, and, and I remember, I don't want to kind of get into this too, too much maybe, but keeping things slightly anonymous, some of these places, the conversation was had about, well, what do you, well, we've, we did this research and then the research is like, we talked to three companies <laughs> right? And you're like, okay. okay, no, actually in DevOps, we take research very seriously. Have yeah, you heard of a thing called Dora? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Totally, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. You can't, you can't come with this baloney and, and think you're going to, you're going to live in this world. That yeah. said, when we think about these platforms, as as someone who you know is a, a conference organizer and reads a lot of CFPs, the idea of an IDP, the internal developer mm -hmm. platform, is yep. hot, 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 mm -hmm. okay. and lots of chatter about the backstage project totally. that was created by Spotify. Mm -hmm. And this again, at the at the end of the day, is an IDP still fundamentally 
your internal Heroku? Is that is that a way to sort of generalize? Do you think, or what 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 makes up a good or what makes it what qualifies something to say this is what my internal developer platform like? What are people looking for in something like that, or what should they be looking for when yeah. they're building something like that? It's interesting, Matty, because like I. I've seen some folks talk about IDPs as internal developer platforms, and some folks talk about it as internal developer portals. And I think it is an mm. interesting distinction, right? Because Backstage oh. has done a fantastic marketing job and like love what they're doing there. And like people are saying like that's the jumping off point for your platform. But in my mm. mind, I actually did a presentation in Valencia, Coupon last year, where I talked about really that's your UI, CLI, SDK, API on top of your platform. So I do double check when I chat to folks now and they go, oh, I'm going to build an IDP. I'm like, do you build a platform like soup to nuts or are you looking just to build a service catalog? And then I'm like, oh. Yeah, I was going to say, do most people, am I misusing the, the, the initialism as well when I say it's internal developer platform? Is the convention more to say portal? Is that, again, obviously, I think it's great. Like you said, you always want to say, what do you mean by this? Totally. Yep. Because clearly yep. that, that, but if that's a clarification that, most people maybe are, are, are thinking of it as a portal. And I think that's a powerful place. And I've thought about this idea. Like you said, is it, is it, is it like a service catalog or sort of the next level of a service catalog? Mm, exactly, yeah. And, and the, the trick of like service catalog carries a lot of baggage because <laughs> that comes kind of from the ITIL side where <laughs> yeah. the idea, the idea is actually incredibly sound. And I'm a big mm, fan totally. of this the is- idea of service catalogs. It's just they sort of evolved out of a thing you can ask a person for right yes, which is right. actually why i like them because i look at this as things i'm building with within my devrel team like we, yeah, yeah. we need to have yeah. our equivalent of a service catalog that we provide to our uh, account teams and our sales teams and mm, our, our field like teams to sense. say these are the things and and yes we can the difference is again because we're not in this sort of ITIL frame where you know it's like yes you can also we can do things that are not on this list but this gives you an idea of what's possible yes and if and if and th- so I think when you think about this model of a service catalog in this way like in the ITIL way it was very structured it's like these are the ten things you can ask IT for yes. and they are structured in this way and that's just sort of the way that it had to be for that type of IT service management whereas. I, I like to think about these these portals or these these places as this should catch your 80%, right? Yeah, great. 80% totally. of the stuff yes. is like we do the same kind of thing over and over again. And if it's clear and done in this way, we can we can do this. You can have a way you build it. We can automate it behind the scenes so it just all happens. Yep. And then <clears throat> the trick of it is if you need something that isn't on this list, we can probably still do it. Yeah. But now it comes with cost. And there's right. Time patch, cost, right? effort cost. Yeah. Yeah. You should always, that's the, I think the trick of this is to sort of have, like you said, have that escape hatch, have that like, okay, because then also if we're, do, but in order to be able to do those things, you have to have that 80% case yeah. handled in an easy way so that you're not spending all your time doing the same stuff over and over. And again, this is the, 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 the common, you know, toil reduction totally. story. Yeah. Um, but now let me ask you this. So you think about the, okay. So anyway, so we're talking about building these portals, the, mm-hmm. which upon which are the entry point to your, your platform. Yeah. At what point do we run into a challenge? And this is, this is where, you know, we've, it's a, a classic problem of, you know, the, the charity major statement, right? The best tool is the one that you don't, the one that you don't need. The second yeah. best one is a SaaS. And I, I look <laughs> yes. at organizations that really invest in, building out so much of this and 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 start to wonder at what point is that 
providing a certain amount of, of, of value. You know, I, I, mm, when I was, yeah. at, when I was at Red Hat, I, I like to use this term that I would use there, but I was, I was, when I was at Red Hat, I was mostly selling to the government. And I would say, Hey, you're not the U.S. Department of Continuous Delivery. Why are you <laughs> building right, your own right. platform yeah. of this? Right. Like, yeah. what's the thing that you do? So do you find like kind of when you think about that? I mean, there's no SaaS really for this because it, it's, I would imagine just a yeah. pure, unless you're, unless you're at the level that you could do it, like, you know, again, talk about come to Barry. I mean, Heroku, Heroku was it. We had it. Thanks, Salesforce. You, you ruined it. Right. <laughs> but like, that's, is that maybe the closest thing that we have to a true platform eng related SaaS? Like, if I wanted to say, I, I want all the mm. things of this. Yep. But I don't want to have a, a 30 person engineering team that does nothing but build and operate this internal mm-hmm. thing. Like, is this, we can make these statements about don't focus on things that are not your thing, but do you really have an alternative? I don't know. Yeah. And like, whenever I mention, or whenever we mention Heroku, I always like to chuck Cloud Foundry in the mix because I think they sort of blazed a trail as well. So I was doing a lot of Spring back in the day in Java and like they were really, you know, big. And then when I went to Ruby, like Heroku was there. But I do think like it's worth framing for the listeners as well that they were different times because like we were building primarily web apps back then. Particularly the Ruby on Rails was the monolith, right? Active record, you know, templated HTML, happy days. You know, I'm sure you, you and I have got four memories, Matthew, right? But like these days we are building more complicated distributed systems, like it or not. Like you know, the the scale, the requirements, you know, a good chunk of cases I look at, the distributed system is warranted. You can argue some things are, you know, we should just be building the monolith, right? And there, that's one I think you mentioned about the eighty twenty rule. That makes it a little bit more tricky because the eighty percent now is not just a monolith. Do you know what I mean? It is mm-hmm. like Spotify again. And I talked about this in my KubeCon talk. Spotify talk about the golden paths, and they're like on the platform there is the right way or the best way to do things but there is a golden path like Spotify had for machine learning apps there was a golden path for microservices there was a golden path for their front end apps so there was no like one true way anymore which I think we used to like aspire to be like in Cloud Foundry and Heroku and I think that is a really key thing that's why I think like you know we, we are genuinely struggling to get back to the halcyon days of Heroku and I don't think it's possible these days. You know, I mean, there's like every company I'm chatting to in Bastard Labs, so our customers, they've got machine learning in the mix. They've got some front-end apps. They've got systems of record, systems of engagement. Like, it's, you know, if it's a big-ish organization, like looking for that kind of one-size-fits-all, you're only going to hit like 50% of the apps at most, if I'm honest. Do you know what I mean? So that, that's a really tricky thing to create a platform that supports all the different things. So I, I guess I... so. Keeping that in mind, when you're thinking about the challenge of doing this in an organization, that's a pretty big ask of it a is. group. Like you, you need is. a very you're, you're you're creating your own separate software besides the software. You're you're for lack of a better word, fundamentally creating an internal SaaS, right? Yeah, you know, that's, and that's it. that you would do it that that we are all struggling. And again, I can understand why creating a generalized one that ap- appeals to you know, in, in the case of saying, "Hey, I'm going to go build my new Heroku, and this is the SaaS that also that that's multi-tenant across different companies, yeah. as opposed to a uh, uh, a plat that's multi-tenant inside your own, so you can at least do that." But that's a that's a hefty big big thing, and you need. I feel like you need. Tons of cross-discipline and a, a total way yeah. to treat it like a product. Totally. Are people actually doing that? 
Yeah, for sure, Matt. It does yep. depend on, on the organization. And we probably, it's a, a good point to chuck in like a meme I've stolen from the uh, Matthew Skelton and Manuel Pace uh, from the Team Topologies. They always talk about building their thinnest viable platform. So before anyone gets too excited, I, I will chuck that one out there. So I, like, I'm a big startup person, right? So I like MVP and like the thinnest, thin, thinnest viable platform makes sense to me. But the companies like we're, um, you know, I bumped into had some good chats in Valencia again with Intuit and they were at GitOpsCon. They were talking about their, what, what is effectively an IDP. And they, to your point, Matt, you have like a global team that supports this platform they've been building over the past number of years. We've seen other companies at KubeCon, same deal, right? And once you get to a certain size, I think it's totally warranted. Do you know what I mean? Like back in the day when you had like a team that was looking after your tin, like maybe you don't have that team anymore because like your tin is now Amazon or Azure or GCP, right? You're, you know, maybe you're outsourcing that. But that, that team, you know, it really is a value add, like in terms of if we didn't have this team, we would become super tightly coupled to a cloud vendor or every team would do their own thing is very common. I'm sure that like you've seen that mm-hmm. in your time as well, right? Where there is like, no one way to do the right thing and then you just get so many different sort of versions of the platform out there so i think it all, it's all about scale right and like any good architecture any good operational question the answer is often it depends and like it is it, it does depend a lot on your scale in, the, in this this perspective and i think like if you can get away with starting off just using something like a cloud run or there is some like k-native those kind of things so there's some very basic kind of like that for me like it is a sort of very basic platform we do some git ops or whatever using say github actions to deploy like first first startup like three people if you've not got product market fit please don't build a platform. Nope. <laughs> like, yeah, please do right, that, yeah. right? But then if, you, if you're an Intuit or some other company like that, rock on. Like if you, you can probably see like the ROI there in terms of that, the value that team, that platform team will give you a whole organization. So that, that said, what you sort of mentioned, and it was interesting because like we, we, we go right to the tech often, right? And then my, my question about this is going back to the way that I've, you know, always think about like DevOps and I always say, you know, the tech is easy. People are yeah, hard. Totally, right? you know, totally. we, we hear this a lot with DevOps when you think about the comms model. Everyone's like, oh, you yeah, over rotate yeah, yeah. on culture. And we're like, no, they're all equal, but I don't have to convince engineers to play with automation tools. They'll yep. do that. So we, we emphasize the culture more because that's the part that we have to push on because yeah. it requires more effort, but it's just equally important. So I, I, and I think that that seems true with, with this idea of, of your platforms where, you know, immediately we're going to sit there and we're going to be like, oh, yeah, we could build this thing with, with, with Knative. We could do this, whatever. Okay, yeah, but you know what? The bits are the easy part. Yes. This is not solved by a tool. This is all the stuff. And this is when I was thinking about, like, what's required from the makeup of that team. You need architects. You need people who understand software delivery, who understand how is this going to – when I say how is this going to integrate with our with our source control, I don't mean – Oh, but, oh, but that's fine. You know, because this has a connector to GitHub. No, yeah. <laughs> what's the flow? What's the yeah, way? Yeah. How do yeah. the people communicate? What I, I think about it this way, and I think this is this is extrapolated. Jess Humble said years ago, and I love this. Said source control is a communication tool for developers. Mm, right? Love it. Yeah, yeah. And yep. that's what these are. These are communication tools. These are collaboration mm. tools. So it's not the technology is frankly the least interesting part of it and the least mm. challenging part because that's easy, right? That's like, yeah. okay, we go install this thing. We configure this credential and maybe put some nonsense YAML in it somewhere and then we're <laughs> yes, done. But how do, you, how do you connect what person over on this team does to person over here? And how does this – I mean, just even thinking about um, – you know, coordinating release, like testing, like how do these things overlap? This is all the hard problems. Yeah. And we want to solve that. We all want to solve them with, 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 with a tool. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. 
you know, the, you see, see this, you know, people say, you know, tools, you know, containers will break, fix your broken culture. But what's <laughs> interesting, though, and this is where I think things get, get fun. Adam Jacob has said before, I, and I bring this up because it came up again on Twitter the other day, he said, you know, tools influence culture and culture influences tools. It's bi-directional. Yeah. So oftentimes, and that's sort of like a, a riff a little bit on, it's kind of a variant on Conway's law, right? For people who, who maybe aren't familiar, Conway's law says that your architecture is a reflection of the communication patterns in your mm. organization, yeah. right? So your there are tools that you know, you can you cannot adopt the culture of that tool and still, but you have to fight really hard in yeah. either way. But they sort of look at like if it's in the DNA of the tool to work this way, yes. that will influence how you work. Yep, yep. So when we think about this this tooling, and and I wonder, not not looking to say necessarily this is like a you know an eval of like which which platform tool or which thing, but I think about things that I consider to be pretty heavy. In, 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 in the space and heavy, I don't mean like a heavy hitter, but just a lot to it. So like OpenShift or yeah. Tanzu, right? <laughs> so, so I, I, I sold OpenShift for, for a year in a way. It's so funny. This is not a video recording, but we have video with each other and my camera just like went totally out of focus and it's driving me up a wall and doesn't matter except that Daniel's seeing me fuzzy. And I am going to leave that in. Anyway, so the point is I sold OpenShift for, for a while. And the problem that I see with these these products and it's not anything technical it's mm-hmm. just the reality of something at that scale so first of all like <laughs> and again i didn't sell tanzu so but i imagine it's it's kind of the same story yeah, yeah. you know cory quinn likes to say no developer can spend more than 50 dollars. no practitioner can go and buy OpenShift. Right, yes. <laughs> like it's such a big thing that that happens at a very high level Agreed. of procurement Top down, because yeah. it's only even reasonable if you're adopting it relatively yeah, broadly. Mass. Right, yeah. it's very hard to do land and expand with something like that. You know, you can, you know, some things like, for example, again, I always turn the reference side like PagerDuty. A team of eight yeah. people can start using PagerDuty inside a giant company, and that can become ten thousand users. Oh, right, yeah. but no one. Yeah, you can't really do that. It's a lot harder with with something like because of its size. So what you run into is this challenge of that decision has to get made at this high high executive thing. Mm. So you don't necessarily have like how do you this is talking about a sales problem, but still yeah. You can run into I'm sure I guarantee and this is not a dig on an OpenShift or Tanzu, but I know <laughs> in both of those and lots of other tools too. How many places are there where you're the practice, you're the platform, even the quote unquote platform team, you're whatever, and mm. oh, well, I guess we're doing OpenShift because yes. the CIO has made this decision because that's the level at which the conversation has to happen. Yes. and sometimes it goes you do bottom up, top down, all these things. But I guess what I'm getting at is like, how do you those big beefy <laughs> platforms how do you do your minimum viable platform how do you you can't like get started small with something like that because it's so all-encompassing do you see like this is the thing where you do have to sort of cobble together for a while and then you're going to eventually because there is value in those things like there's a reason the batteries included type of solution of like a you know an open shift or a tanzu is is very real because again you're not the you know the ministry of you know of developer experience right that's you're it, you know that's, that's you just want to ship some stuff but it's it seems like a very large hurdle yeah I, mean, I don't know if I had a question in there but I you know, kind of yeah. 
And it's an interesting point, actually. And I think something like you sort of mentioned there, like I was definitely hearing you saying, is like cognitive load, right? Like I would say things like Tanzu and, and, and OpenShift. Like I'm with you, love them. Like there's definitely a time and a place, right? But like the cognitive load required to even understand what they offer, let alone how to use them, is pretty massive. Whereas like if you spin up a K native or whatever, like it's a lot easier to get your head around, particularly as a, as a small team. But I think like you and I, I think briefly touched on this when we were in Prague, and I even mentioned it in my talk where I was talking about the golf course selling, as I jokingly used to call it, like back in my 20 years ago i'd rock up and it's like we're adopting this enterprise service bus in like the job i was working in and like i'm like i was, I was a developer at the time right and my boss was suddenly like you know at the weekend i played golf with the uh, whatever tipco <laughs> folks right right and i'm like we're, we're buying this bus and i'm like oh, do we really need it and that to be honest kind of sucked right i'm not picking on one technology there but it was very much a top-down situation mm-hmm. but to your point it kind of had to be because at the time i was working for the uk government and this is like the oil and gas division like it was you know there's a lot of folks involved in that right But I think these days I see the requirements are driven more bottom up and then you need to get those sort of mid-level management folks that really, you know, bring these things together. But getting exec buy-in, C-level buy-in is essential too. Do you know what I mean? So it's that kind of like there's the top down, sorry, the bottom up top down but then i think getting those middle levels middle sort of layers on board is really key and it's what i see with the companies that are building their own thing same deal they're often like taking their requirements starting small getting a bit of buying at that mid management and then some you know a couple of smart folks typically in the mid management go you know what if we standardize our whole company on this happy days they get exec buy-in and then it tumbles down so it's kind of like bottom up mid top down mashup of the things do you know what i mean mm-hmm yeah, and I think it's because it is that 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 kind of you know we we always the same thing you would say for consumer facing software that you build say don't don't worry about you know building for scale till you have a scale problem yes right you know is yep. say hey okay you're gonna do your minimum viable platform you don't have to worry about how is this gonna work for every single team at Inuit but. You kind of have to begin a little bit with the end in mind because it's very that, easy totally, to create totally, yourself yeah. to paint yourself into a corner, which yeah. and I think that's the the challenge. And this again is why I think this type of work requires fairly mature software development yes. approaches because that's you know it's because you have to see the the forest for the trees right you have to say or maybe it is more of a begin with the end in mind which says i don't have to solve this problem yeah but i need to know i need to make sure that i don't create it as a bigger problem for myself later i need to think about future me a little bit i don't have to fix it we can do this minimum thing but what i want to know is say hey ideally this will be used across every team yeah Okay, well, you know what? I'm going to make a decision here that will actually make that impossible. That's what you want to do. You know, I think that's the thing is you don't want to worry about making sure that it figuring out how you're going to do it. You want to make sure that you don't set yourself up for something that's impossible later because you've actually blocked, right? You sat there and said, you know, okay, we're going to do this thing. And I can't think of the perfect example, so I'm going to just make one up. But it's like there is no way this would ever run on Windows. Yeah. And I don't give a shit about that right now. Mm. But – and but I know that if I want this adopted across the whole company, we mm. will have to solve that. Does it yep. mean I have to solve it? No, but I have to make sure that I don't put myself in a position that it is unsolvable. Yeah. Like there is yeah. this hard thing that will never work. You know, yeah. I think that or, point, like the role of like the I think what we're sort of skirting around is the role of like a platform product owner. Like I've seen like I've chatted to Crystal Hershorn, she's at Sneak now. Randy Shout, like, who's been sort of like in the, the, yeah. early, the early like, past days, and and they they really do like start small but think big 
Do you know what I mean? And I did a fantastic podcast of Crystal and the Ambassador Labs podcast, and she was pitching exactly what you're pitching, Matthew. Of like, I paint the the big vision, get the buy-in bottom up and top down, and we all aim for that, right? And to your point, we give ourselves options along the way. Like we can at some point exercise the option, but we must never paint ourselves in a in a corner. So those kind of folks that are out there leading the charge, like I've learned a ton from them. So I think that's the, that I think you just, you know, again, like you said, what we're skirting around is that there is, there are, I'm going to, I'm not going to say non-technical, there are non-engineering key roles in doing this. Right. And, and I wonder if the outgrowth of like, where, 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 okay. So in an organization that is now starting to talk about wanting to do this, right. Mm -hmm. Like, and again, let's, let's, let's put it, put aside your, couple person startup because there was no history in a company like that like this is yeah. this my, just my question doesn't apply there because this is about the i have an organization that's been around for a while yeah we have a way we've been doing things because this is a this is a change it's not a it's not a greenfield it's not a new thing number one in a place like that i have my kind of assumption or guess or what i've also seen a little bit about where this comes from like because it doesn't come out of nowhere Right, you don't you don't just go and hire up a whole like usually this is a repurposing of a team or people are you know you're you're bringing people around. Where does that usually come from? So like the people on these plat edge teams that are new, the the new teams, Mm-mm. where did they work at? Where did they work yesterday? Yeah, so I mean I think a lot of them were in the infrastructure space or what we now call the developer experience space, like the tech enablement teams, dev enablement teams, those kind of things. There were folks that were, to your point, Matty, really focused on the problems, not the solutions, right? They're really good at going, hey, like classic value stream analysis, your blockers here, let's have a good poke around at that problem, understand what's going on, and here's how we fix it. You know, those folks, I think, are, are like the typical folks that are brought in. And, and, and it's interesting to even look as in, often there is a pain that triggers the creation of that team. Like an exec has discovered they've got, you know, 10 different versions of a platform out there. And then when a bunch of engineers like left the company say, then suddenly no one knows how to maintain like, you know, version number nine of the platform. And it's like, oh my God, like, oh, panic, which, you know, understandable. So then they're like, we need to standardize the way we do things across the across the org. And that's often the trigger then for looking out for these people, creating the rec, saying, hey, we need this kind of platform product owner, this tech enablement owner. And then this kind of person comes in and, and really starts looking at the actual bottlenecks and problems and specifying the vision and, and helping folks actually do the thing, right? The actual implementation too. Well, and that brings up kind of an interesting thing as well, maybe where we are in the adoption life cycle, if we're sort of looking at the the crossing the chasm kind of thing, because what you've just described to me, I still feel like is in that early adopters visionary part of hmm. like early on, because everything you described, I would go so far as to say is atypical of most enterprises. Most Mm -hmm. you even said they have a DevX team. How many of these places still have that? I mean, how many, you know, I, 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 I was trying to think of some made up companies because I don't <laughs> want, because I could be wrong, right? I don't want to sit there and say like, does John Deere have a dev? And by the way, if they do, awesome. I reckon they do. I they do really that, good work, actually. I was yeah. going to say, John Deere is <laughs> yeah. a terrible example. I was trying to think about like typical enterprises in yeah, yeah. my part of the country, like where, 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 where we tend to watch and see and then connect. But either way. 
I people are Matty. I think they're maybe cool. Like to your point earlier about t- toys. John like, Deere was a bad example, actually. Yeah. <laughs> John Deere is pretty damn innovative. But, <laughs> but I, actually, I even the... think the big organizations do. Like SR, the SRE book from Google really revolutionized that, right? Folks are really thinking about SREs, and a lot of like site reliability engineers are thinking about DevX. I will put it to you this way: This is the thing that that helped me with my echo chamber. Was I? I, I remember I, I used to have these conversations when I was at PagerDuty with uh, with my boss Alex, who was the founder. And I love and Alex is great. And this is not a dig at Alex. It's an <laughs> interesting conversation we would have. You know, I remember having this conversation about places that have a production support team, right? Like a, mm-hmm. it's basically a bug fix team. And he's like, yep. No, 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 nobody does that anymore. That's not happening anymore. And I'm like, No, Alex, enterprises. And he'd say, No, no, I talk to all these enterprises and they don't do it. And I said, Alex, you talk to enterprises who a are even aware of PagerDuty and b have self selected to. Yeah. Yeah, survivor bias, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. It is a survivor bias. And you know what cured me a little bit of our my survivor bias was being a single dude going on dates and right. meeting people who also worked at IT. Yeah, yeah. And who were business analysts or who were software developers in pharmaceutical or in all these places we have around here and all of these things were not how they did work oh interesting you know so we have our own bubble because again who are we seeing even the people that we see at conferences that we feel like oh you're behind the curve yeah again there's a survivor bias there those are the people who came to kubecon yeah i think you know and and whatever so there is a lot and even within organizations there you will see those pockets Mm -hmm. and they're the beginnings of it right so there was a little bit but I guess uh, taking it all the way back to that crossing the chasm part of that is there is a forcing function that will eventually happen. I think what I was sort of getting at is in places that don't have that, that are yeah. want to maybe want to skip that part too a little bit. That also happens, right? Where like we see, okay, this evolved from this small thing that did this part. And it's like, wait, now we actually, how many places jump over that though too right and say like oh well platform engineering is i mean this happened with devops right this Mm -hmm. happened with contain this happened with all of this where there was an evolution path that happened a little Mm -hmm. bit or there was this thing and then when you're in that late majority the late majority skips the pre-work yeah so to speak and and it's not necessarily a bad thing i'm not not saying like oh they they missed the point but the pain that got them there that got the early market there what is you just sort of leapfrog over that to the implementation, but then that's but that's what I think that leapfrog is what ends up with this idea of you take what was your ops team and you say now you're the platform team, yeah. but that team yeah. is not necessarily made up of people. And I think about the evolution of ops, you know, what was traditional tech ops, like you said, that was looking after mm. your kit, that then yep. became cloud ops teams in a lot of places, yeah, right, 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 which was fine. So you're the one who manages all of the kit, but now it's just. VMs, they're EC, yeah. <laughs> you know, EC2 yeah. instances, or you're the one who manages a relationship with Amazon. And then too often those teams just got called the DevOps team now because yeah. DevOps is a way to yeah. hire people, but yeah. you're still doing that same thing. And then I believe those teams are now going to get rebranded. And then they were yeah, called they SREs, they but they weren't yeah. SREs. Yeah, so I that's that the other, I that right? Yeah. We see this a yeah. lot. The Korean name only, right? You know, yeah. which is like, <laughs> yes. and again, you have to do this. It goes all the way back. You talk about the the history of this podcast. I mean, I remember things. I th- might have might have even said this in our first episode, but it was early on talking with Trevor, <laughs> and I said, "Hey, it's crazy." I said, "Nobody's hiring sys." Ad-. This was ten years ago, right? Mm-hmm. So nobody's hiring sys admins in Chicago anymore. They're only hiring people to do DevOps. But the job description is manage <laughs> yeah. tape backups on a Windows two thousand three <laughs> yeah. server, right? Kind of <laughs> right? But the thing now. 
also for the record, by the way, everybody who's getting these better titles, good on you, man. Go get your bag. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, th- this is my big thing about. I, I, I said there's two two things that got me over the harping on the DevOps engineer title. One yeah. was Ian Coldwater pointed this out before, which said when you say that. The people who hear it are not the people who gave themselves that title. So all you're doing is making them feel bad. That point, yeah. Right. So yeah. that's that's not great. The other thing is, I this this data is suspect because this this was a statement from a few years ago. But I think it's you know so don't hold me on it. But fundamentally, changing your title to DevOps engineer was a twenty to thirty percent pay rise. So thing. I'm like, yeah, go get paid, man. That's cool. Yep, yep. get yep. your bag. Anyway. Back to the thing about this evolution where you run into this if you're going to keep – if you sort of look at the same team that in some organizations has probably started life a decade ago as the tech ops team, that yep. then became the cloud ops team, that then became the DevOps team, that then became the SRE team, and now is going to be the platform team, and their remit – Probably hasn't changed, right? Like how many have you, uh, this again, think about dating ourselves, but I, I had a colleague at this financial company I worked at and he had been there for many years before me. And I came in, we, I was, a, we were a contract. I was working for CSC at the time and CSC took over all the IT for this company, Heller Financial. And then we got acquired all this stuff. And I remember my, my colleague Mark said, I've sat at the same desk for 10 years and I've worked for four different companies, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know? And so that is real. Yeah. And so I will is, tell you, is. this is, I've, I've had, and the reason I know this, and there's people that everybody wants to do this right. So they're getting there. And I'm not saying like, this is this, this fuddy duddy thing where these people are never going to go. But I, mm-hmm. I don't think it's too much of an outlier of that journey of that you're going to have these teams are called the platform team that's still at the yeah, end of the day, agree. these are infrastructure admins, which can have great ideas. And again, yes. I'm a, multi-decade sysadmin dude, right? Like I will never talk shit about sysadmins <laughs> or infrastructure people, but we only know what we know and we don't know what we don't know. Mm-hmm. So yep. so if you were going to continue to take that sort of same group and continue to change mm. what you're expecting out of them without actually enabling that to happen, yeah. you're going to end up with things that rhyme with everything that came before mm, because you're not going to have – folks that are as architect focused because you're still yes. talking about people that think about life in an operations way. I don't know the answer to this. Listeners, if you're in a situation like this, if what you're seeing happening on that, hit us up on the Elon Musk hobby site, you know, <laughs> and 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 love to hear hear what you have to say. Can we talk about backstage a little bit? Because I want to yeah. know more about it. And I feel like you know a lot more than I do. So I think it's cool. I, I remember it's sort of I was hearing sort of like the the it, to me, it seems like one of those things that I, I want to say was like a couple of years ago, sort of would hear about it. I, I will, mm-hmm. I will admit, I kind of put it off to the side the way that I do. I love Spotify, but it's interesting yeah. that like there's Spotify model that Spotify doesn't even follow. So <laughs> you always right. wonder about how much of, <laughs> how much of this fact. is the, yeah. is, is something that we take as inspiration and go and how yeah. much is a model. And I kind of heard this and then it feel like in the last year or so, all of a sudden it's like, backstage all the time like this is a thing and so i'd love to kind of get a feel for like what it's about from what you see and then what you really see the the use case for it like what are people actually doing like where are we in the 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 hype cycle if you will maybe not the hype cycle that's a gartner thing it's it's the crossing the chasm right like where, where where are we with 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 something like that yeah so i mean at its core backstage is really a jumping off point for that 
IDP, building that internal developer portal. So it has got a service catalog. There's a whole bunch of automation hooks you can hang off that. So I don't know if folks remember like Rundeck back in the days. For me, it's like a modern Rundeck. If anyone like, again, dating myself here, but it's, but it's tailored very much to developers. So you can very quickly understand the lay of the land. It's got great search capabilities. You can say, you know, what services have I got in my estate, my portfolio? You can dive into those services, see who on, who was on call, who owns that service, who's built you know, that service in the past. You can also, there's a thing called tech docs, so like living documentation, which any of us who've developed software know the pain of keeping your documentation, A, up to date, and B, like easy to find in the right place. So a lot of the backstage at work is sort of focused on these, on the tech docs and making it super, super connected to the, the actual services that it's relevant to. So I think, you know, there's definitely the, the notion of like, backstage as a thing like spotify for example are they've actually got a business model now where they're selling extensions because it's highly extensible you can build your own extensions to do pretty much anything automate anything off the off the like service catalog interface but spotify have got these approved you know subscription based extensions so i was like, oh spotify interesting play there right and then there's companies like roadie who are like a, a SaaS offering of backstage because backstage is notoriously a bit hard to install and run it's like a typescript app and a couple of components that are a bit sort of tricky to stand up and keep you know keep up and running so there is these kind of like there is like straight up like backstage offerings out there but then i think to your point matty like a lot of it definitely folks i'm chatting to people either use it very much as a facade on top of what they're building as, as a developer platform or they use it for inspiration do you know what I mean? They look at what Spotify do. They look at what they, even like LinkedIn, other folks have got sort of similar things out there. And they say, I'm going to do a backstage-like thing within our org. So maybe I'm going to put on a, a web UI on top of some platform we've, we've already got. Does that make sense? In terms of that, they put some kind of like, yeah, some user interface that easily connects the developers to what's actually in the platform all the services and then very commonly like tasks you know you want to automate is spinning up a new service very common one so you like template and back in the day i used to use that yeoman and a bunch of other ones there we kind of template your your application spin up a new microservice and that microservice has all the observability security testing stuff baked in like so the best practices are super easy to follow because it's all templated in the app other things that are very common, like in, in a backstage like portal, being able to deploy the applications, being able to easily get access to observability. So you may have multiple kind of SaaS, you know, observability tools, but the the, the backstage or your portal is your jumping off point. You know, the, this service, you click on this link and you go straight to the honeycomb dashboard, for example, or you go straight to the Datadog dashboard, dashboard, that kind of thing. So I think it's the one a one-stop shop of once you've got your service up, up and running, if you want to understand yeah, all the kind of operational aspects of it. You want to deploy it. You want to you want to effectively manage the lifecycle of the service, right? That's what these kind of portals and backstage in particular is really good at doing. We'll add some some links in the show notes to a couple of the places we just kind of talked about to places mm-hmm. to, to again, not necessarily any endorsements or anything like that. And we don't have any discount codes for you. Right? Yeah. <laughs> this has been a really great chat. We're kind of getting to the end. If you were to give like a couple pieces of advice to someone who's saying, I really want to get into this, like we need this at my company. This is important. Like what's the I'd say what's the number one thing to do and what's the number the number one thing to not do <laughs> when you are thinking about investing in platform engineering? 
Yeah, so I'm going to do a shameless plug yet again, Matty, for my oh, QCon please, yes. talk, right? So, yeah, I, I we like, will have it, a link it, it, to that in the show notes, by the way. Yeah, it was very so. much a standing on the shoulders of giants. So I'm not claiming I invented any of the things in that. It was very much a pulling together of things. I had a Twitter thread that blew up, my most popular Twitter thread ever, I think. And I talked about platform engineering. And then everyone chipped in, and I basically harvested all that great idea, content and ideas and put it together in this KubeCon talk, which is still available on, on the CNCF uh, YouTube channel. The three things that are key, Matty, are treating our platform as a product. And I said, you cannot have good developer experience without good user experience. That's the key thing. And focus on the workflows and the tooling interoperability. Make the thing composable. So my thing, building a platform, like, like we can definitely break down, like, should you build a platform? But if you are building a platform, those are the three things I recommend. And what's the number one thing to not do? Oh, can I be controversial and say, go out and buy platform we sort of hinted at that and i'm not again not naming it like not naming any names here hey, right but hey i, I always I, like to say you can't buy devops but i can sell it to you you get 100 right i love that quote yeah and that's the one thing i'd say and again i like i'm a big fan of the aforementioned like passes we've talked about but i do see a bit of a, a sort of knee-jerk reaction to your point matty as we get towards the later adoption adoption stage folks are often worried about being left behind and they are like if i just put more dollars or more pounds or more euros or whatever if i throw more money at it how can i catch up and i think that that can be a dangerous place to be and and again ref- referencing or riffing off what we we're talking earlier on really like if you're a bit of a late adopter look at what is already out there and catch catch up on there's so many blogs about how i built a platform and you know pick a company expedia have talked about it at kubecon twitter have talked about it, but well a bunch of companies have talked about it so rather than sort of like try and buy a platform my recommendation is spend a bit of time investing in understanding the problem space like potential solutions and then go for it that is amazing as we just said we, we've there's a, a wealth of, of of supporting links we'll have links to Daniel's talk at KubeCon, a bunch of the other things we talked about. If you go to arresteddevops.com slash platform engineering, that will have this episode's show notes in it. If you go to arresteddevops.com slash iTunes and leave us a review in the iTunes store, that will help other people find the podcast. Yes, I still call it the iTunes store. I know it's Apple Podcasts or whatever, but also it's the Sears Tower, not the Willis Tower. And I will not change. It is Comiskey Park, not whatever it's called now. We are also on Spotify ourselves and iHeartRadio and Audible and all sorts of places where fine and not so fine podcasts are available. So check us out there. Daniel, thank you for joining me today. This was a really great conversation, very illuminating for me as, as, as an area I need to know more about. Hopefully it was really great for our listeners. So thanks for, for being a part of it. No, I appreciate the invitation, Matthew. Always fun to talk about platforms with yourself. So that's been great fun. Absolutely. This is Arrested DevOps. And remember... There is always DevOps in the banana stand.